Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 224. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable Sustainable 224. How the devil are you? Fine. Good. You look just like you did last week. Super. Yes. Uh, we are recording this a little bit ahead of when you hear it. We were recording this about 10 days ago, so hopefully nothing too bad has happened. There haven't been any more horrific climate things. Probably there will be. Who knows? We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, ain't we all? Yes. All about people and the planet and why, despite all of the stuff coming down the track, we still might have a chance to adapt to it a bit. Yes? Yes. And what are we going to be talking about this week? Well, we're going to be talking about adapting to stuff. We're going to be talking about a bit of the whole climate change story, which, frankly, we should have talked about before now. But we're not the only ones. People don't really talk about climate adaptation. Now, that is adapting is what it sounds like. Getting used to making changes, adapting to the changes that are coming because of climate change. And it's, it's not a sexy thing. It's not a sort of thing which gets... NGOs and climate reporters excited. They talk about trying to stop climate change, which has obviously its merits. But why doesn't anyone talk Does it, about... Don't you think it has its merits? I think it has its merits yeah. to yes. trying to stop climate change. Yeah, that Good. is my... Good no, I'm going to go on record and say it has its merits trying to stop climate change. Yes, that's my position. Uh, but, but, but we should also talk about how on earth we adapt to the climate change, which is already happening and which is going to happen. And luckily... Me and you don't have to talk about that because somebody's written a book about it. And that somebody is the very eminent Dr. Morgan Phillips, who, as well as being a author of this new book, Great Adaptations, uh, is the director of something called the Glacier Trust. which works. Glacier. Glacier, come Glacier. on. Glacier. That's a mint. Well, it's the same word. Glacier. Glacier. Outside. <laughs> come on. Glacier. All right, Glacier. That's what I said. No, I Glacier. Said glacier. <laughs> <laughs> I've got him confused. Anyway, that. Right. That. Good, Morgan, right, yes. Morgan directs that, okay? Yes, good. We talked to Morgan about what adaptation is anyway. Like, is it just building walls? Is it doing other stuff? Is it about the adaptation of the mind? Oh. We talked about Julia Hartley Brewer off of the far right. We <laughs> talked about why it is that no one takes this stuff seriously. And we talked about whether or not we should be optimistic about it. And what about the fluffy things? What about the polar bears and the kittens? Oh. Yes. Now, just before we get into all of that, the usual disclaimers. Uh, we do work for environment charities. So if you've got any problems with anything Dave or I or Morgan says, then take it up with us, not with the people for whom we work. OK. And if you want to chuck in some money to the running costs of this esteemed organ, like so many lovely people do, but we do need more, you can join them at wobblywobblywobbly.patreon.com slash sustainable. That's patreon.com slash sustainable. And we started by asking Morgan to kind of explain this whole adaptation mitigation thing in terms that, you know, Dave and I would understand. So, Morgan, you are a football man. Well, you're a Spurs man. <laughs> How's that going? Um, we don't know yet, do we? I mean, we this is know. the thing. We're, re we're recording this before Brentford top 
the Premier League after two games with a 100% victory. Well, look, uh, the reason I bring up football is because I was thinking about adaptation and all of that. And it feels to me that, like, is, isn't, isn't focusing on adapting to climate change a bit like sort of damage limitation in a football match? Like, it, yeah, OK, it's better to lose 3-0 than, like, 8-0. But you still lose. And wouldn't you have been better off, like, just, you know, throwing all your resources and effort, trying not to lose in the first place? So... And just bearing in mind that you're talking to two people who support newly promoted teams who are feeling very nervous about all this. Uh, explain, am I, am I right? Well, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to lose 8-0 every week. That's probably the first thing I'd say about that. <laughs> True. <laughs> you are talking to a Cambridge United fan, so... Oi! Yeah, there's every chance. But um, no, and yeah, it's... I mean, yeah, we probably should have thrown all of our resources at it probably, you know, 30 years ago to prevent... The, the catastrophe to prevent the 8-0. And, yeah, we'll probably do well to, to hold it to 3-0. But I think if you think about climate change as being kind of the opposition, then, you know, you need you need your kind of... You need your defenders to be able to kind of cope with the opposition and to, you know, um, avoid them from hurting your team too much. And you need strikers who are going to go and hurt the opposition to hurt, to score against climate change. Which so ones are the wind of, turbines? I'm confused. Wind yeah. turbines are up front. The big lad yeah. up front is a wind turbine. <laughs> that's it. That's, <laughs> right. that's kind of what I'm thinking. And right. uh, big, for a big lad. Fine, good. And, and the castle, the fortress at the back is literally a fortress. Well, yeah. At the a, back. A big, a big yeah. flood defence wall just holding back the enemy. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're on the same team. That's always how I kind of see it. And just, you know, you need defenders and you need strikers. And so we just need to have... A bit of both to be able to uh, to defeat this thing. And and I'll tell you honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. And is it like uh, Ol's incredibly incisive and wonderful question Thank aside? You. I mean, is the point that we are already playing this game? It is already the second half, and we are already three nil down. And it's all very well going. Well, you should have played your flair players from the start. But the point is, we are losing, and like, isn't it, we have to start? putting the big lads at the back no matter what, right? That's the idea. Yeah, I mean, if if the strikers are to have any chance, if if like if the if all of the, you know, the solar panels and the and the wind turbines and and you know and also the, you know, the more systemic stuff like trying to shift away from a consumer society, if all those guys haven't got somebody behind them to sort of make sure that they can go to work in the morning because, you know, because they don't have to drive through a flood to get there. Then that's going to help. <laughs> so we need. So that's kind of, yeah. I mean, we are certainly in the in the second half, aren't we? Probably deep into it. Dave, I'm going to ask all of our guests to explain things in football analogies because that makes so much more sense than half the stuff. <laughs> it does, <doesn't> it? <laughs> it really <laughs> I get, does. I get that's it. That's fantastic. Um, I suppose, therefore, the, the question is: Why did the manager of team fight against climate change? Uh, why is he? Why does everyone talk about the strikers and no one pays any attention to the climate adaptation in defence? Why is it that all the, everyone's just obsessed with the glamour players up front? Well, you does know, analogy it, still working? I think yeah, so. it's just about. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they they're the ones who sell the newspapers. They're a bit more exciting, aren't they? So um, you don't. It's very rare that a defender gets to um, grab the headlines in any sort of scenario where a team's come back from 3-0 down to 
to win 4-3. It's not normally the defender that gets the credit for that. But the defender might have, you know, prevented it from being 4-0, 5-0, 6-0. We're starting to stretch this now. We're stretching it. <laughs> I and I, I want to keep going could, until we break it. <laughs> I could talk. I, I, do, I do love talking of football analogies. I think you can, uh, you can explain a lot of the world through football. My, my final football analogy then is, is that <laughs> presumably managers, i.e. like our you know, governments and stuff. What they like doing is showing off a, a a brand new striker as they're signing. Like that's that's what they like, kind of standing in front of and saying, "Look at me, look what we've done," and spending loads of money on that. And it's never as exciting to say, "And I've just bought a really sensible, level-headed right back who doesn't get forward too much." Yeah, true, exactly. Yeah, particularly yeah, in the modern I mean, game. That's it. I mean, it. W- I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing, you know. Characters like Alok Sharma not standing in front of a field of wind turbines and standing on a massive flood defence at some point in the future saying we will protect our great nation from the lapping waves. I wouldn't be surprised to see a politician doing that in the in the really? coming decade. But, um, well, I mean, they will because the, there's so many towns already, aren't there, aren't there, that are at risk of sea level rise. And so there's going to be politicians who are going to make hay from saying we've we're putting in the big flood defense thing to uh, i mean i guess i guess they did it with the thames barrage back in the day so it's not, it's not it wouldn't be new 41 different uh, designs considered uh, projects considered for a barrier on six different sites this is the one that they're finding the platform between talking to the man who and you would welcome you would welcome that, right? You would like it if politicians were opening flood defences and being happy about it. It depends what it is. It depends what the flood defence is. This is the whole thing, isn't it? With with adaptation, which people get frustrated about, is there's so many different types of it, and and it's not a benign activity. So you can you could build loads and loads of flood defences out of loads and loads of concrete, and cause all sorts of environmental problems in the process. And so that's not very it's not a very mindful approach to adaptation because you end up you can end up causing more climate change and through the act of trying to adapt to it. So there's so we'd yeah, there's plenty of it going on and so it's it's frustrating to see politicians and business kind of being quite parochial about the way they're kind of adapting and saying and sort of defending their ground, um, but doing it in a way which not where they're not taking into account the knock on effects of what they're building and the infrastructure they're putting in place. So that's so yeah. There's um, and this and this is where I think a lot of the tension comes with with adaptation and people's kind of reluctance to talk about it. Given that you've written a whole book about adaptation, this might be a longer uh, or a deeper question than than it seems. <laughs> but what, what when you say climate adaptation, what do you actually mean? Because it sounds like it's not just building big things to stop the sea coming into our homes no it's not just i mean it's it is that obviously we do need in some circumstances you definitely need to build flood defenses and you can there's many different ways of dealing with flooding you know from improving you know when you think about rivers and and the stuff that goes on with dredging and sort of building like canalizing rivers in in towns instead of thinking right let's go up the catchment let's see what's going on on the on the peat bogs up, up at the top and actually let's let's have a more natural solution which can slow the flow of water so there's that kind of physical infrastructure stuff that goes on so you can have those nature-based solutions and and then kind of like yeah just building loads of stuff is uh the kind of 
the blunt way of doing it, I guess, the sort of blunt instrument way of doing it. But then, yeah, I mean, there's obviously kind of psychological adaptation as well going on mm. because you need to kind of come to the acceptance of, you know, the need that that climate change that we do have to adapt to it. And there's, there's a certain amount of adaptation that's going to have to happen. And so that means that on a personal level, we need to think about, it's kind of the same things as we think about anyway, like the way that you shop, the, the, the food you eat and so on. And, the kind of way you go on holiday all those things you can there's lots of adaptations going on there so you know your holiday plans might if you're a family that usually goes to the south of, south of spain or um well it's kind of more topical i guess at the moment would be sort of turkey and greece if that's like you always go to turkey and greece for your holidays every summer you're going to start thinking twice about that in the coming years and going somewhere where you know there isn't going to a high chance that there's going to be a wildfire somewhere somewhere that isn't a light yeah well, this is it, and these are th- and these adaptations are probably going on in a quite subconscious way, really. That we're not even really thinking about the fact that we're adapting our behaviours to the physical change that's happening in the world, but we yeah. surely are. It means giving up on stuff, doesn't it? It means like l- sort of grieving almost, or just like what is it that we're actually having to do in our brains when we do that? Like I was, I was watching a thing on telly just so I forget what it was. Oh, Rich D. Grant standing in Southern Italy looking at stuff. Very good, good program. Mm. Um, and I was just thinking, like, I might actually never get to go there for mm. reason A because maybe I don't want to fly so much, and reason B maybe it'd be too bloody hot and I wouldn't like going there. And I felt sort of sad about that. I felt a bit grievy. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's yeah, there's certain things we have to, I guess, relinquish, and that we. I think it will happen in a way where we're not where we're not realizing it's happening like it'll just kind of instinctively not feel like as an attractive a prospect as it was like like you just said like um so my my dad has a has a boat and like we live in West Wales and um and in the harbor where where we live there's been more and more flooding and the sea levels coming up a little bit and more storm surges and there's more water in the river coming into the harbour and so the so every now and again kind of late season there'll be a massive storm and it'll take a couple of boats out and you know a couple of boats will sink and it's happened it's been happening more and more and you know he's he's taken his boat out of there now and decided to sell it and not or not only because of because of that's that happening but it's certainly a factor that's that's there it's like he can't cope, you know, the worry of thinking, oh, God, is the boat all right every time Every time there's a big downpour is something he wants to relinquish and let go of and, and to relieve himself of that pressure or that or that stress. And so it's so those are the kind of adaptations that are kind of just sort of happening in the in a kind of hidden way. And it's the same with, you know, like more and more heat waves coming and sort of thinking, you know, do I need to, um, you know, do I need to change, you know, do we need to buy a fan to keep the house cool and that, People just will just buy one without even thinking about it. What thinking about climate change is just thinking, oh, it's hot. It's a kind of instinctive reaction. It's like, oh God, I better get a fan in. Or, or maybe next time we should invest in air conditioning because these heat waves are going to keep coming and coming. And these aren't necessarily good adaptations. And they have, you know, they have knock-on effects. And they can, they all demand energy use, whether that's renewable energy or fossil fuel energy. It's all energy that's being used. And so, this is where not sort of talking about these adaptations that are happening leads to a situation where people kind of adapt in very kind of ad hoc and instinctive ways and maybe not in as thoughtful a way as they could do if there were, say, environmental organisations 
talking to them about their adaptation strategies, even at a personal level, let alone businesses and governments, and saying, you know, you could adapt in this way, but have you thought about doing it in this other way? And um, so it's kind of, I'm starting to think myself about adaptation as being similar to kind of travel in that it's something that we do and there are green ways of doing it and there's non-green ways of doing mm. it, but it's something that we are going to be doing. So it's um, so why not do it in a way which is positive, potentially positive for the environment and kind of in line with mitigation kind of actions um, and, and kind of in, li- in line with social justice values and things like that. Okay, and again, again, I know if you're on the BBC or Sky, they let you say, our house isn't on fire. That has no meaning. There's no science to back up that that statement. That is a meaningless slogan, and you know it. So how are you different to Julia Hartley Brewer, then? (laughs) Whoa. uh... I mean, now, explain explain for our uh, well people who have had not had the pleasure of encountering Julia Hartley Brewer. Who's Julia Hartley Brewer? She is a radio host and uh, commentator, Um, and she's one of the sort of leading uh, provocateurs, I suppose, on the kind of British gobshite. Yeah, gobshite. She's a leading gobshite. I'm a bit scared of her, so I'm like. She's just one of those quite haughty, scary people who, you know, you sort of, you feel like if she called you by your full name and was cross with you, you would like, you would sort of cower. But it'd um, take a week to be called by your full name, doesn't it? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but yes, she is, She's uh, she does talk radio stuff and she's uh, very, very sceptical, to put it mildly, that climate change is happening, is as bad as people say it is. And principally, I've definitely heard her say, Oh, look, humans will adapt. Like, all of this kind of billions are going to die, hundreds of millions are going to die, hundreds of millions are going to move. Like, it's all nonsense. Humans are going to adapt. Humans are always going to adapt. And it seems like from reading your book and from listening to what you're just saying, it seems like you kind of agree that humans are going to adapt or that humanity is going to adapt. Which is different. Which is is different. So am I right in saying that you and Julia Hartley Brewer are of one mind... (laughs) On this and so many other things. <laughs> well, I've never met the woman, so I'm not really sure. But um, I think this is going back to what we said before, where the, the adaptation kind of strategy that you choose kind of says a lot about who you are and what you stand for and what your values are. So I guess there are plenty of rich and powerful people in the world who are very well resourced. And they probably see an issue like climate change as being something which they can throw their money and power at and be okay and you know i'll be okay the people i care about will be okay and you know we'll adapt you know because i mean yeah humans are adaptable there's no there's no two ways about that i mean the last 18 months have shown how adaptable we are and how much we can change to crazy situations happening and, and crises which is a really great sign you know that we are adaptable we, i don't think we'd be the three of us wouldn't be here if humans weren't adaptable um so there's there's that goes on, but it's yeah, it's really the kind of how you choose to adapt. So, you know, there's there's obviously some very rich people who think, you know, I can colonize the moon if I if I need to to For survive example. this, yeah. or you know, yeah. or New Zealand if they can't get to the moon. Yeah, and right. They're all they're all buying up New Zealand, aren't they? Like the tech, yeah. tech dudes are all buying up massive tracts of New Zealand, aren't they? Yeah, well, they're definitely trying to, and they're they're seeking. Yeah, they they can basically create islands for themselves to to be secure and 
in their adaptation strategies, they're not being mindful of the impact that their strategies are having on, well, A, on New Zealand, for, for one thing, and people's ability to buy a home in New Zealand if they're a New Zealander. Um, but they're also, you know, thinking, you know, I can I can build my bunker and be safe here and not really care about it. But that, but at a less extreme level, it's kind of, that's fine, I can crank up the, I can, I've got loads of access to fossil fuels, I can burn as many as I want to keep the air as cool as as I want it to be in my house or even in my street. Like in in Qatar, they're, um, I couldn't believe this, they're, they have air conditioning, which is which points out into the street to keep pavements cool so that people Whoa. can sit outside cafes and well, be cool during the day. That's going the wrong way. Well, yeah, it's bad. Well, um, I suppose it's no weird. It's, is it any weirder than us sitting in pubs in winter with patio heaters on? Same principle, exactly. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. it is. It's the same thing. And... Um, you know, and they're, they're, they're air conditioning the football stadiums ahead of the World Cup. It's, you know, there's going to be air conditioning under the seats throughout the stadium. So, wow. All those Brentford players who uh, make it to the World Cup will be. Uh, Watch it, Morgan. Will be enjoy basking in the air conditioning. Cut you off, you know. I can end this interview now, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it can happen. Um, especially, if, especially if they're Welsh, there's a good chance. No, we're in the Premier League, um, we haven't got any Welsh players. Oh, shade. Oh. Here we go. Look, everyone, keep calm. <laughs> Keep calm. Um, what's it all about? He started it. Oh, you bleeding pig! You started it. I don't get all bloody started. It. What's it about? Well, he said a bloody treaty of Utrecht was seventeen thirteen. I still feel like we haven't quite got to the heart of the issue here, though, which is humanity will adapt and rich people will survive. But what about like the billions of people that live next to the sea? or that don't have any money or rely on farming that is already marginal. Like, a lot of people aren't going to adapt, right? So, I mean, sadly, it's, it's, that could happen. I mean, it's, I think there's, you know, we're trying to limit warming to less than 1.5 degrees, 2 degrees at the outset. But, you know, we know from all of the studies that what's currently planned by the world's governments is taking is, is you know it looks more like three degrees of warming is going to happen and there comes a point where you can't adapt to that to that level of warming and the and the level of devastation it causes because of yeah like you say there's the sea the sea will rise too high and it won't be possible or too many too much of the glacier in the in the himalayas will melt and and you know a lot of asia will run out of water and heat bulbs all heat bulbs you was like talking about heat bulbs yeah, heat bulbs is a scary thing. I, I, I sort of want to do an episode about it, although I'm not sure how long it would last. But yeah, that's that's where the it, it's too hot and humid for the body to cool itself through perspiration. Yeah. So it like you that's you can't survive that level that combination of of uh, of hot of heat and humidity. And there's yeah. there's plenty of places now where on days that happens. And I think we had Assad on the on the show uh, years ago now. But he started using the the frame um, like death zones, basically, mm. like bits of the world where, which are growing, where it's not possible to survive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were, I think there were days in Pakistan earlier this this year where that where the temperature was creating those heat bomb situations, and you're talking about people who can't retreat to a nice air conditioned McDonald's to stay cool, you know, to to get to get out of it. They just those things just don't exist. So. So yeah, I mean, and this is why I mean, 
although I'm kind of talking about adaptation and written about adaptation and advocate for it, you know, I'm still like oh, like equally, you know, advocating for mitigation because it's we we absolutely have to do it because it's we can't we can't separate these two things out like without without the mitigation adaptations aren't possible. I guess it kind of comes through your book uh, that you're, I wouldn't say pissed off, but a bit <laughs> miffed. A bit <laughs> miffed. Irked. He'd be allowed to be pissed off, wouldn't he? <laughs> no, no. Well, about, about the sort of the lack of attention that this issue has got. Like, it seems like, the. correct me if I'm wrong, but like, mm-hmm. you're kind of driven to write this book because NGOs... Podcasts. Podcasts. Oh, this is not the podcast. Like, <laughs> what was the thing a few episodes ago that we were like, oh, soil? After 221 episodes of Sustainable we thought maybe we better look at the thing that keeps us alive and <laughs> whether that's going to be standing um, on. And, and in we have everything grows. <laughs> I mean, we've done bits about adaptation in various forms, kind of, but we never actually talked about it really as a thing until we've had you on. That shit. We are shit. You we are, are in particular, <laughs> no, who I blame for this. No, I fully accept that I'm, I'm particularly shit. But I guess, like, wh- why... Well, is that right, that you were kind of driven by the lack of attention that it was getting? And if if that's right, like, why... And you must have spoken to people in the course of writing your book. Why is it that uh, the green groups and podcasts and everyone else is not giving it enough attention? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I guess I'd be interested to, to ask you guys in your thoughts on it, but I'll, but I'll um, you and why you why you haven't why you haven't, <laughs> you haven't haven't done an episode on it yet? But it's and it's it's totally natural that that you haven't because most of the environmental movement doesn't talk about it. So we did we did some research. Um, we did two reports actually, kind of looking at it was kind of you know a bit fast and. You know, we're a small charity, so we're kind of like back of a fag packet type research, really. But we looked at the news stories and blog articles that the five kind of largest environmental NGOs and well, the Green Party was one of them, so four NGOs and the Green Party. And we sort of went back through 2,000-odd articles to see how many times they spoke about adaptation. And they do speak about it, which means that like, they can't say that they don't speak about it, so they, they, do, they do cover it. Um, but I think it was only like 17 articles out of 2,000 plus were actually focused on adaptation as an issue. And and it was mentioned here and there in other climate change articles. But yeah, they just don't talk about it. And you, could, you can go a whole year in environmental charity and not even hear the phrase. I think that's probably changing now a little bit. It seems to have come up the agenda a little bit in the in the run up to COP26, but it's still, it's still low on the agenda. And I think, I mean, and it's, you know, sometimes talked of, you know, as the, as the A word, it's like you just you don't mention it. And I think the reason for it is is it's a little bit of that kind of well, it's it's giving up. And actually, if we say to people that they can adapt, then they will they won't take seriously the need to mitigate. And so, you know, you're giving them a kind of yeah. a get out clause to sort of say, oh, it's all right. You can don't worry about climate change. You can adapt to it. But it's um and that means and that's kind of fair enough. And it's a fair enough rebuffle to people like Julie Hartley Brew if they want to talk about it in that sense. But to all of the people who are suffering and suffering from climate change and are desperately in need of resources to adapt, it just means that they don't have anybody advocating for them. And it just means that they're just getting absolutely battered by climate change 
on a daily basis and nobody's kind of fighting their corner, even though they've done almost nothing to cause climate change, yeah, even yeah. though they want to they want to adapt in ways which are responsible and ecological and part of a you know overall agenda of trying to improve their lives. Um, they're just not being talked to. So I think in the run-up now to COP26, there's, you know, in, in Paris in 2015, there was a pledge made by the developed world countries that $100 billion a year would be put forward in climate finance to support mitigation and adaptation all around the world. And that was they were supposed to start delivering $100 billion every year from 2020. And obviously 2020 was an absolute shitstorm of a year. But still, they would have budgeted in 2019, and we only saw 80 billion dollars come forward. And now, and of that 80 billion, 80 percent of it went on mitigation projects, and not not on mitigation projects. 80 percent of it went to the developed world for mostly on mitigation really? projects. 80 percent of it, Jeez. leaving sort of 20 percent for the rest of the world. And of of that 20 percent, only um, 1.6 billion was being spent on adaptation strategies in the most kind of vulnerable countries so out of the out of the 100 billion that wasn't delivered but the 100 billion that is supposed to be only 1.6 billion of it is going to help people who actually are having to deal with the you know the daily effect of climate change so it's kind of like um ignoring anybody who's caught covid and not giving them any treatment because you're spending all your time trying to find a cure for it we need a cure <laughs> Why, the only cure is bed rest. Anything I give you would only be a placebo. Where do we get these placebos? Maybe there's some in this truck. I, I think there's something. I mean, I, I was thinking while you were talking about why haven't we talked about this more. And indeed, what, on the you podcast, know, you mean? Yeah, and not only that, but like, I've done environmental stuff 15 years. I have done some work on adaptation, but it wouldn't be the first thing in the press release I talk about. And I was thinking... I wonder if it's like psychologically something very interesting has to happen to your brain for you to kind of get into that space. You have to take climate change out of the bit of your brain, which is like, it's a threat. And I understand threats. It's an army that's coming at me. It's a war. And I know how to fight those. And you have to put it into the bit of your brain that goes, uh, we're part of one big soup of life and we better like live in a way that respects that. And it's a, it's a jump. It's like it's treated. It's turning climate change into something else in your head, in a, in the way it should be. Right? It's the thing that's mm. happening. But I wonder if like there's just something. I don't know. You must have thought about this a lot. But is there something almost close to denial about what climate change really means? That is the reason why we don't talk about it more. And by we, I mean everyone except you. <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> there's plenty of people you can talk to adaptation. But, um, yeah, I think it is. I think it is a source of it is a kind of denial thing going on. Like, soon and like you say, I think it is that kind of flick of the switch when you look at climate change in different ways. Like, we can, we can kind of frame it in our minds as something that that will be solved um, that humanity once had to deal with but doesn't have to deal with anymore. It's gone away. Right. Problem solution is fine. And like yeah. everybody kind and of. And you used you know you use language of solution. You were talking about like um, flood defences as a, as a natural solution to climate change, right? And you know that's that's a kind of linguistic thing that we fall into is this idea that it's a it's a it's a problem we will solve as opposed mm. to it's a planet that we live on what we're nausing up and we're still gonna have to live on it yeah 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 there is definitely reluctance and you know in you know when i was starting to 
try and talk to people about about this book and what we're trying to do and trying to get people to help um sort of support it and endorse it and spread it there's some environmentalists who just would say no i don't talk about adaptation bang wow and, and you actually got a sod off a flat out yeah, sod off you do and um wow and it's kind of in some ways it's it's you know want to break through that because like i was saying earlier it's you know adaptation is is something that humans do and there are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it and there's you know really ugly ways of doing it and there's great ways of doing it and great adaptations and so there are ways to there are ways to do it really well and and to give do some it good in ones. ways give some give some good ones because there's some great examples in your book give us some give us some classics <laughs> top <laughs> yeah. 10 adapting to the existential threat of climate change eat the rich eat the rich number one eat the rich <laughs> there's probably not enough in there i think like because actually the more, more interesting ones are the really maladaptive ones the ones where people are really like just being stupid about it and all right give us one of those then it. like we're all here <laughs> for stupidity like yeah that's kind yeah. of more our pastry actually but stupidity well there's you know i mean well <laughs> maybe i'm stupid is a harsh word but it's um you know the un the, un, the sort of ones that aren't being carefully thought through so, so yeah the air conditioning is obviously the classic example of like just crank up the air conditioning in cars in cities in houses in you know and that's changing the changing the actual kind of architecture of entire cities that because they're becoming especially in hot, hotter countries it's like if you can go from the air-conditioned house and you want to go to the cinema then you go there in an air-conditioned car and it's too hot to do anything else too hot to go to walk even to the bus and so you know pavements are disappearing because of that because it's, nobody's using pavements anymore because everybody's just staying at 22 degrees their whole life you know there's this there's stuff like that going on you know even in australia well, that's, how, that's how entire cities in i don't know the middle east work yeah now yeah right yeah yeah like, exactly yeah and that's good and that's only going to spread sort of north and south from there as temperatures rising in cities in europe and yeah in australia and in the us and over us um so there's there's that and then there's um you know what's going on in miami is absolutely insane the levels of what needs to happen to try and hold back the water in miami oh because the, the whole thing is basically underwater yeah i mean right. it's so so yeah. low-lying and it's in huge danger obviously it's in danger of tropical storms which which are going to come along hopefully more often so what's happening there is there's this kind of process of climate gentrification going on where people are moving from the coastal like being right on the coast and the really lovely properties with the big sea views which obviously were the most desirable places to live in miami are now not becoming as desirable to live in and so people are moving inland into communities which were traditionally poorer communities and buying up property gentrifying those areas and the people who live there and call those homes they're all you know being priced out and being sent out so that's that kind of gentrification going on then but then the, yeah the on the positive side of things there's there's a lot obviously going on in, in agriculture where farmers are switching from uh, one crop to another um as you know in, i can talk about nepal's probably the best thing for me to talk about because i know it know it so well so switching to agroforestry which is you know, working effectively farming trees. So it's it's planting um, fruit trees and nuts and coffee and these sorts of things, um, and having kind of mixed agriculture going on, which you know has a bit has obviously a mitigation effect as well because it's absorbing carbon, um, but it also creates um, shade at a local level. So instead of growing like loads of like fields of rice where you're not being protected from the heat at all when you walk through it, you can actually create these sort of small nice 
sort of cooler microclimates. Um, but but this is all part of a um, broader kind of development strategy as well. So it's actually they're growing higher value crops, which they can get more money for, and therefore improve their local um, local economy, local society, and all these things. So it's so it's always part of that broader broader project that's going on. Hello there, my name is Crichton2x4b523p, such a jerky middle name, and you are listening to Sustainababble. Uh, is this a real thing, this idea of like damming the English Channel? Uh, oh, yeah. Or do the French call it the sleeve? They call it in French. I can't remember the real name. Damming the sleeve. Damming the sleeve. So putting, <laughs> putting a dam round on one side of it and then putting another dam up in the North Sea somewhere and just creating a great big sort of lake. Yeah. It's, it was, I think it's called the North North European Enclosure Dam or something like that. The Need, it's called. <laughs> but I think, right, yeah. and, it was, and it was to build a dam across, yeah, from sort of Cornwall across to um, Brittany. And then another one from like the northeast tip of Scotland across to I guess across to Norway, um, to create a, basically a massive lake which protects the whole of sort of Holland and Belgium and northern France and Germany and all of that inland. But yeah, I mean it was I think it was done by a couple of Dutch Dutch academics kind of did it as a as an academic exercise to see how much would this cost, and is that cheaper than the cost of relocating millions of people from the shoreline which is you know which is going to be flooded otherwise um so yeah i don't think it's a serious proposal but i think it's a thought experiment as a way to sort of say it's, a, it's that kind of like you know it's going to be cheaper if we mitigate climate change now than to deal with the consequences of, of it in the future but applied to adaptation so it's um but what it does is it, it it's a sort of mega infrastructure project which sounds absolutely crazy, but it it means that one which is slightly smaller is going to sound, but but yet is still massive, is going to sound. Oh, that's actually a bit more sensible when you compared to the uh, uh, the massive north in, north anchoring, anchoring, yeah. anchoring. Yeah. That's it. Makes shipping quite interesting, wouldn't it? Given that that's the busiest <laughs> shipping channel in the world. Well, they could put. I've seen in Police Academy four citizens <laughs> on patrol. Uh, there's a bit where a boat <laughs> jumps over a ramp and goes over a wall and then lands on the other side of the ramp. They could just do that. Hello, Dave here. Now listen, slight balls up. I said Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, but what I of course meant was Police Academy 3, Back in Training. The superior, probably the last of the good Police Academy films. I should have known that. I consider it an area of specialist expertise. I'm greatly disappointed in myself. I've let you down. I've let the babble down. Please don't write in and complain. What about... Yeah. What about the fluffy things and the furry things and the things with wings and the slivery things and all the animals? Like, I know we're not allowed to talk about polar bears anymore, but can we <laughs> talk about the polar bears and all the other animals? Like, what does adaptation look like for the animal world? Because it always feels a bit to me like that's forgotten. And I know, like... I would say this, I'm militant vegan, etc. I know, I know, but like, is ain't half not fair that we're Mm -hmm. coming along and nausing up poor people and nausing up all the animals? So what does the future hold for them? Like, animals adapt, but can they adapt quick enough? Talk about all the animals briefly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll caveat this with, I've got 
a very bad mark in my biology GCSE. So I'm, I'm in no, no way That's an right. You're, on this, you're but... an author now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's, 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 it's in the book. It must be true. Um, <laughs> there's... Um, I know I did. Have, I did have a lot of help actually from a from a brilliant volunteer for the. For, I, thought you, for I thought you meant your biology and your A level. <laughs> no, I definitely didn't do an A level. Bloody hell! Um, no, so the animal. Yeah, I'm definitely. We should talk about the animals because we're very bloody human focused too much. Um, so there's kind of three three things that animals are doing, which is firstly is they're migrating, and so you know, polar bears. If we can talk about polar bears, there's you know evidence to show that like at the genetic level, that polar bears are gradually moving north as as it, you know, as north. the ice melts. Oh, like for t- closer to the pole? Closer Not to the pole. Because less, there's less ice in the summer, right? So There's yeah. less ice, yeah. So they've got to go further moving. Now. But they've also found that, they're, that there's some, because, you know, the land which polar bears can exist on is getting smaller, so the, they're called sleuths, a group of polar bears, or group of oh, bears called sleuths. A sleuth of bears? Yeah, I looked that Fantastic. up. Fantastic. Aww. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you've got these. So they've got obviously they they you know they they exist in sleuths in packs, and they're obviously competing for for fish and 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 for land and resources. And so you've actually got some examples of polar bears heading south as well because they're not able to find the food that they need. And so they so there's this town in um, I can't never remember the name of the there's a, there's a peninsula or, or an archipelago of going north out of the top of Siberia. I can't remember what it's called, and I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Frozen, but, coldy, yeah. Russian bit. So there's there's there was a town there where a whole load of polar bears just invaded it, and they never they'd never done this before, and they were just going in there just and rabbit and like scavenging for food. So there so that's happening. So they're they're migrating. There's lots of examples of fish and things changing their their pattern, their, their migrationary patterns through the year um, in all all sorts of dire- different directions, and then you've got. Um, kind of related to that is is species downsizing. So over time, the the prediction is so I think some of the researchers at Southampton Uni did some work on this. They're they're, look, they're they're predicting that smaller animals will be more successful over time because they're more able to to move, and they're kind of highly highly fertile and sort of reproduce quicker. So generations go faster and faster, and so they so it's more likely that the small animals will will start to be more of the entire biomass and the larger mammals that can't move around as fast won't, won't be able to and then there's the thing called phenology and hang on oh, hang on play the sexy <laughs> phenology music you mean lumps on heads that's what you mean that thing where you work out whether or not you're going to win the lottery by how lumpy your head is something like that <laughs> phenology look it up phenology it is what are you talking about then? Not that. Well, phenology, yeah. This is where my biology, now you're stretching me. Um, <laughs> biology, from what I understand it, it's basically the gradual change um, of the timing of events like births and hibernations and migration. So so animals are kind of hibernating at different times at times of the year and giving birth at different times of the year because of the changes. So you've got, in, in the UK, you've got adders now not hibernating because it doesn't get cold enough. And so they end up staying... No way staying awake all year round, which is obviously dangerous for them. Um, and that's happening, yeah, with with um, like bears and things as well in other parts of the world. So there's so there's the hibernation periods are, are changing. So that's kind of, I mean, it's such a great evidence that if anybody was kind of saying that climate change isn't real, it's like, well, 
Why, why are these hibernations? <laughs> why are all the, the, the animals, animals doing different things? Yeah, they're not well, in on the they, hoax, are they? Well, they're just part of the, they are they're part of the red menace, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, They've been it. got at by communism. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, so there's all that going on, and there's so those those are the kind of the three ones. You've got you've got the migration, you've got the species downsizing, and then you've got these changes in like the patterns of when animals are hibernating and things like that. So um, so yeah, so I think if you're going to get a pet, it's like get a get a small one because it's uh, more likely. To, <laughs> survive <laughs> <laughs> so if you take one thing away from this chat it's get invest in small pets we get a lot of authors on here i mean we invite them on or they invite them it's not like they just sort of show up you know people who have a book <laughs> Come, come, come in on here, selling their books. Come in on here. <laughs> With their words. With their words. Um, As I, I mentioned in my book, which is called Great Adaptations. That's the <laughs> same thing they say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they come on here, these authors, these words people, and they never quite have the guts to say that they want to smash capitalism, even though it's very obvious that they do. And sometimes when the mics are turned off, they say that really they want to smash capitalism. We don't get a lot of people who write the following things in their books. <laughs> Western civilization needs to be disassembled with great urgency and great care. Tell us more about that, Morgan. <laughs> Sounds like smashing to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I did agonise whether to include that sentence in the entire chapter. But, um, yeah, it got to the point where, you know, there's, there's all sorts of talk of adaptation, which is quite incremental. And that kind of, you know, assumes that the warming isn't going to get that bad, and we'll just we'll just be able to adapt, and that'll be fine. That's kind of the called called incremental adaptation, and and that that's fine as you know, so long as things don't go really terribly wrong. But obviously, things could go very terribly wrong. So I thought I better write a little bit about that and things like deep adaptation and things like transformative adaptation because it's out there. People people are reading it. People are thinking about it. So. Um, yeah, so I thought <laughs> it's probably a bit of a putting the world to rights type chapter this bit, but, <laughs> but when I started, it's, no, it's I, it's better I, than what normally happens, which yeah. is you normally get books when people go, everything is completely buggered. If we don't change, then we're all going to die. And then the last chapter is either, but I'm still optimistic, we can fix this, or <laughs> it's, and of course, what we must all do is change our light bulbs and make sure that we uh, do loads of small actions that feel completely out of kilter. It feels more honest to go, you know what, I've Absolutely. just spent a year or whatever it is writing this f***ing book, and I'm now convinced <laughs> that we need to smash capitalism. Respect. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, obviously, that you can call it many different things i kind of pick western civilization as a, as a kind of it it kind of dominates the world doesn't it it's spread and spread and spread and there's not many places which aren't either part of western civilization or kind of influenced by it in some way there's obviously some tribes who are still detached from it but obviously we're not going to go back to living like that so there's you know and it's it is it is neoliberal capitalism writ large spread across the world and dominating and it privileges quite a few a few people but comes at the expense of many other people and many animals and many landscapes and many of the things we really cherish get kind of trampled by it um you know it's obsessed with economic growth it kind of commodifies all sorts of ancient traditions and it's creating you know it's, it colonizes and pollutes people and destroys a whole lot of stuff so effectively when you look at it through a kind of 
broader lens or sort of all macro lens it's not really all that civil at all so there's there's obviously some people who live quite comfortably within it and i probably include myself in that and like i'm being very very privileged but the majority of people in the world today and in the past and probably in the future they effectively just live uncomfortably with it they're kind of they're like you just have to live with western civilization and all the stuff that goes with it and all the inequalities that that it's surrounded by and climate change is is one of the signs that that sort of structure with all those inequalities and all those injustices is it's it's pretty it's pretty a fragile thing but there's all sorts of other kind of signs that it's it could collapse and it and it could be on the brink you know when you think of of the wars the decline of biodiversity and, and and the the absolute like demise of of um of nature and the kind of and also you know the rise of quasi fascistic leaders around the world who are popping up and populist politicians and they're all signs that things aren't quite right and it, and like, and climate change is probably the biggest sign that things aren't quite right and um and there's a chance that it could spectacularly collapse i mean i'm not saying it's going to do that but it that could happen it's there's there's not it's not impossible that we could see that sort of collapse and that would create a obviously a massive bomb site and a whole load of mess and what would we do with it so if we so when i talk about wanting to or calling for it to be kind of urgently but you know carefully really stressing stressing the carefulness um to be disassembled that you know that creates a brownfield site instead of a bomb site and if we have a brownfield site we can start to build successor civilizations with a kind of an emphasis on the plural, like it's not. Let's not just have one massive global civilization, which is obviously has loads of like colonial, like colonial kind of imperial sort of things all tied up in it. I think we need to urgently and not very carefully disassemble Julia Hartley Brewer personally, but <laughs> and build the benign Babel dictatorship of Babeltopia. Wash, dead, disassemble, dead. Disassemble! Morgan, thank you so much. What is, for anyone who hasn't been listening, the name of your book uh, and where can they get hold of a copy? It is called Great Adaptations in the Shadow of a Climate Crisis and it's published by Artbound. Um, It will be in the shops in... In se- on September the 14th um, and all the online ones and some terrible ones probably which I did have no control over um, so yeah but if you want to get it and in the most sort of helpful way for the Glacier Trust it would be to buy it from the Glacier Trust website which is theglaciertrust.org so um, yeah I'd love people to we've got we've got a few copies in the box behind me which I can until uh, those until those go that's the best place to buy it from <laughs> That is just about it for another episode of Babel. And indeed, this kind of series, this little mm. season of Babel, we're going to be off for a bit of summer break. Uh, Dave's going to be doing some things, which he may or may not talk about. And I will be doing precisely f- cool. Uh, hello, Bleep Machine. Oh, yeah, very good. Are you going to deal with those piles of wood and lagging and boxes of stuff behind you? Well, next time I babble with you, I want to see a wall, not all of that nonsense, please. Yeah. It's going to be a high-fidelity babble suite. Oh, amazing. 
very, very good. It'll be the foundation stone of the future Babble Republic of Babbletopia. Thank you very much, Ol, for babbling. Thank you to Morgan for coming on, sharing his wisdom and you know, kind of bumming me out a bit, I guess. But I think, <laughs> you know, in a way that was bumming me out about something I hadn't been bummed out about before. So it's that nice to nice. be bummed out about new things. Yeah, that's true. But, you know. That's good. We can smash capitalism and it's all fine. Um, you can get in touch with us. You can tell us what you thought of the show. We are on the Facebook at Sustainababble something. You can search us on the Twitter babble wagon thing and we're <laughs> hello at sustainababble.fish. You need a break, don't you? You need yeah. a little break. I'm just not going to. I don't think a break is irrelevant. I just can't do that. Very strange. Right. Uh, have we asked you for money again? I can't no, we remember. We haven't said thank you to Dickie Moore either or to Dickie Moore for the music that begins, ends and intertwinkles the podcast to Arthur Stovall for the local What Adorns This podcast and the podcast of Your Brain on Climate, which is my other podcast oh. that I have, um, which you did say I was allowed to plug. So yeah, plug once. in that. Well, you know, once a week, uh, which is all about the psychology of climate change and what the hell it is doing to our little brains, yes? Very good. Uh, Yeah, go and listen to that if you must. Um, In the meantime, you've got 223 other episodes of Babbel to listen to first. So do those first. Listen to all the Babbel first. Then you can have your pudding of Dave's new brainy climatey podcast. Right, enjoy your... Ask people for money. Ask people for money. Oh, okay. Give us money, you bastards uh we've got a patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n forward slash sustainable where you can give us money to help us keep this show on the road thank you honestly thank you genuinely thank you very much to all the people who give us cash it makes a huge difference and enables us to keep going because frankly we would have to pay for things out of our own cash which we can't afford if we didn't do that so we love you do that more be heroic um get love Right, I'm off to do some things. I shall see you middle of September-ish. How does that sound to you all? That's yeah, lovely. Right. We will be back certainly by the end of September. We're not quite sure of the date. That Around then. Superb news. Until then, I'll enjoy whatever the next month has in store, won't you? You too. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>